and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I want to get down to business. Absolutely. We have some stuff to get to. Well, first, I want to thank Laramie. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Laramie Legault from for, for being on the show last week. I also want to... Now, I'm not going to name the person by name because he asked me not to, but uh, Laramie and I were talking about uh, the person on Twitter who sort of got us talking to each other. Oh, yeah. And we... we kind of got it wrong i mean bob did was part of this but actually there was another person who i think even before bob Phelan uh suggested we do an episode together um you know either us on on their show or them on our on our show uh so i wanted i'm not gonna say his name because he asked me i said I, i felt awful about it and i said i'll remedy it on the podcast he said please please don't so i'm not gonna say his name but i want him to know that I feel bad that I didn't mention you last week. Okay, here, guy, let me ask you this. Why? Why don't you want us to mention you on the show? That sounds like fun. Did he give a reason I why? I wouldn't want to be mentioned on the show. Well, that's you. Like, yeah, it I, is super- Especially if somebody listens to both us and Laramie and Brad talk about whatever... I don't remember the Rope of Silicon podcast I like to call it. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's Laramie and Bradley discuss... Uh, movies and such. <laughs> I oh, think okay. that's what it's called. Something like that. Uh, or, or what have you. Um, and uh, that's in the, that's the end of the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in parentheses, though. No, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but anybody who listens to that show needs to be prepared, not, by, not from us, but they need to be prepared to be mentioned by name because those guys name check their listeners constantly. Yeah, I have a, like, I'll be listening to a podcast and it'll be like, There'll be like a trivia question or something, and I'll like know the answer, or it'll just be a topic like, let us know what you think. And I'll be like, oh, I should, you know, I have a thought on this. And then I'll think, oh, but if I write in, they're going to say my name on the podcast, and I don't want to do it. Yeah. So I understand this guy's impulse of not wanting to Because certainly, why would uh, a couple of guys who have three podcasts between them, why would we ever want any more exposure online? Yeah. Exactly. No. No, I'm being being facetious. That's exactly right. There's enough. Oh, wait, that reminds me of another thing. We got to get into this survey. Okay. Which you, uh, you people at home should take. Uh, uh, I mean, probably, but it's it'll be probably over by the time you hear this. But if you can, if it's still up, go check ta- uh, on our Facebook page. Uh, take the survey. It's going to help us out with some stuff. But I'll post uh, it on the regular website as well. It'll okay. be over on the side. The um, the thing I want to talk about the the there some of the results the early results of the survey have me a little upset because one of the questions why. You, you you come off freaking like gangbusters in no, that survey. But here's the thing. You and I do this podcast and... We sure do. It takes us... We're here a few hours a week doing it. Mm-hmm. It takes me another... Depending on the episode and what happened, it takes me a little bit longer to edit and post it on, on Sunday. It's honestly not that much time out of our lives to do the podcast. We... At least I put a lot more time into the website and so one of the questions in the survey was do you view battleship pretension as a podcast more than a website or a website on the podcast or both or neither um and overwhelmingly people think of us as a podcast and not a website and that is i thought at least at least both there's there's a fair amount of both on there there's one guy who said neither i so makes me wonder now, first off, this is a guy who likes taking surveys. Yeah, <laughs> no I I included are. neither kind of as a joke, um, but uh, yeah. but I guess he uh, he called my bluff on that one. Yeah, 
How did he find us if he says neither? But I know we. St- I just want to say I know we started. We were a podcast before. I mean, we we had a website, mm-hmm. but it was you know very sort of web 1.0 back then. Yeah. Um. Uh, and now, and I know our website is still. It's not you know flashy design with like ads that scream out at you. It's a pretty simple blog format, but I think it's sharp looking. I think uh, mm-hmm. our friend Sean did a good job. Yeah. Um. And it updates fairly regularly with a wide variety of thoughtful opinions on movies that are both in the theater and available for you to buy or rent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes way more of my time. Like, I think of us as a website called Battleship Pretension right now that has a podcast as maybe its main arm, but one of its arms. Yeah, I. Uh, you, we both put a lot of time in it in a field into it in a, in fields that we are not trained in you <laughs> having to navigate the murky waters of uh studio publicity and me having to deal with fucking html code and it's just uh well, here, here's the deal dealing with studio publicity having an office job for years mm-hmm. really helps i'm sure what i've become really good at i think is the overly friendly email Ugh. Lots of exclamation points in my emails. You know, thanks I'm so off. much. Have a great weekend, like that kind of stuff. Ugh. I'm it, it 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 comes naturally to me now. I actually kind of enjoy doing it, uh, and so that's so I when feel, I'm I've begging, had to write one or two of those, and I feel like the insincerity just oozes off the screen. I I write scores of them a day. Okay, uh, literally, um, and so if I'm like begging for a an invite to a screening that we haven't been invited to, you know, it's a, a big sort of property like the hunger games or something i'd be like hey just wonder if you know gonna be any and they say uh we haven't finalized the list yet we'll get back to you like you know if it's approaching a write-off i'll still say okay thanks have a great weekend yeah. I'll hey you know whatever whatever you want to do feel free i always like saying feel free as if like i'm empowering like you them have, to get back to me yeah you don't have the power to bestow upon them exactly freedom of feeling but they so anyway, but they think i do now we're getting off topic here God, all that know. is to say survey Yes, take the survey, and also, just even if you don't take the survey, visit the website. It's a good website that we put a lot of work into. Yeah, it does. Uh, into it, it's content. okay. It, it's all right. Well, what is this? What is this about? This attitude. What? What attitude? Hmm? This dismissive I've, attitude. I've I've read. I've been to our website. It's fine. It's fine. Well, what does this mean? I'm just saying, like you know, if somebody. I'm playing a character. I'm, oh, okay. I'm playing the li- I'm playing the listener. Well, yeah, you were you were very convincing there. I think there's a uh... Well, I don't know if you know or not, but I did win an acting award uh, several years ago. I'd never heard about this, but I don't <laughs> care to. Um much that... truth is spoken in jest. I'm not sure if that's exactly how the saying goes. I might have tried to gussy it up a little bit there. Um Is that Mark Twain? Many a truth is said in jest. Is that what it is? Many a truth is said in jest. And that's of course Noam Chomsky. William Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right tell me what you got on that green piece of paper right there uh first off yeah, is, this, is o- green paper. this is obviously not green this is bluish look when Ed, you know what admittedly there is very yellow light in this room yeah that's more green than blue from under this light fair enough i will get i will i will give that to you, you know, also it's, it's maybe like a sea foam yes i uh, i would i would give you that at best okay moving on See, this is why this needs to be a video podcast, <laughs> so we can have people uh, chime in. Moving <laughs> what on. What color is the, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, right into the website that you don't visit. What color is the paper 
in Tyler's left hand that he wasn't supposed to use because that's the good paper. First off, this is from two weeks ago. <laughs> oh, I have, so you're getting some mileage out yeah. of the good paper. You I, say, I, I save my paper. Um, okay. Uh, do you want to talk about Hit before I get into the other one? Hit is... Uh, do you have copy for Hit? No. no. Just go to town. Yeah. Hit is the name of a comic book that was successfully funded via Kickstarter with, I dare say, a little bit more than not a small amount of help from Battleship Retention, both uh, its um, its creative talent and its listeners. Oh, yeah. And readers. It's a website, too. Um, that's Hit. It's a, 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 it, it, the, the comic, which you can get the first issue from, from the website, which I will give in a second, mm-hmm. for either $3 for a digital copy or $5 for a physical copy, which I believe they'll send to you. I don't think you have to go to Florida to pick it up. Um you know what? They never confirm that, so don't <laughs> yeah. don't speak. We can't speak to. That. I said I believe. Yeah, okay. No guarantees. All right. Um, it's a comic book about a Boston hitman who was sent to small town suburban Arkansas to carry out what he thinks is going to be a routine job. Uh, Just that, a regular mom and pop hit. Yeah. Uh, that uh, turns out to be something quite different than what Tyler just said, um, and uh, it really is an intriguing premise. Uh, and you can find out you 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 can you can get the first issue and learn about upcoming issues and the further adventures of Hitman Connor Connolly at www dot gentlemanbaby comics dot com. Absolutely, comics dot com. Absolutely. So um, all right, and they are in what? the process of uh, putting together their second issue. So. Uh, I, I'm, I eagerly awaited, I, uh, not being facetious there. Yeah, uh, it is quite good. Also, by the way, speaking of websites, there's one called tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. Uh, and let me break it down for you. The first main part of the website is tweakedaudio.com. And that is, they are the purveyors of professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors at a low, low price. But if you go that extra step, if you add on, you know, sort of, uh, it's like an add-on. Like if you use Mozilla Firefox, you get an add-on. That's... Slash pretension is the add-on. Tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. That add-on will get you one-third off and free shipping on your order of any number of professional quality earbuds in any variety of styles and colors. Absolutely. All right. uh, Before I get to the the next uh, ad, uh, sorry, everybody. There's so many people want to give us money, and so you have to listen to this. Uh, But before I get to that, I will— make it fun. I, I think so. We make it fun. I hope so. Uh, I will say that uh, our premium premium episode with Buildwire is uh, still available. Uh, you can click on uh, Buildwire's big smiling face on the side of mm. the page, and it'll uh, cost you $1.29. It's a lot of fun, and uh, we enjoyed recording it, and this is uh, one of the ways that you can uh, help support the, sh- the show and that website. That website, BattleshipPretension.com. And if you have seen, we were just talking off mic, if you've seen Bill Dwyer in a recent commercial, know that he recorded our premium episode the same day he shot his role in that commercial. Indeed. Okay. So our current sponsor is uh, the Fry Brothers Had a Threesome, Let's go. which is a, uh, a Kickstarter, but I will read this so that I, so that I get everything correct. All right. Andy and Oliver Fry are brothers by blood and best friends by choice. However, that all changes when a spat between Andy and his girlfriend leads to a night of debauchery between the brothers. After copious amounts of alcohol and maybe an illegal drug or two, Andy and Oliver end up sleeping with a girl together. 
which turns their lives upside down. The Fry Brothers Had a Threesome is the second feature film from Short Pictures Independent. It's a comedy that explores family and friendship through the lens of a regretful, drunken decision. With a host of local Austin-based talent and plans to shoot at the end of this summer, uh, we need your help to make this film the best it can be. Please check out The Fry Brothers Had a Threesome on Kickstarter or click the ad on Battleship Pretension's front page to contribute. And visit the Facebook page at facebook.com slash frybrothers, that's F-R-Y-E, brothers, traditional spelling, for more information. Thank you. Without your help, this film won't happen. All right. Okay. Moving on. Well done. Moving Our on. Our guest has been quiet for over 15 minutes. No, it's been not quite 13. So let's bring him on. Oh, okay. I was looking at the right. Okay, well, let's just keep going for three minutes then. No. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Josh Long. Hey, everybody. I was Contributor quite- to the website. I know. That's the- So I have things to say about what we talked about. One, hey, go to the website. You can see all the stuff that I wrote. Yeah, yeah. Go on, you. <laughs> yeah. Um, then uh, that paper looks green to me, too, I was going to say. And uh, I looked it up that uh, Many Truth is Said Just is originally uh, Chaucer, actually, in some weird old English way Bob that I was going to read. <laughs> Robert, good old Robert Chaucer yeah. <laughs> of uh, Greenville, Illinois. Yep. Um, that's not a real person. Uh, yeah, you, so. You don't know. Hey, well, that's true. I, that could easily be a real person um, in a place that I might have just made up. Here's what a dummy I am. When I think of Chaucer, I think of the song from The Music Man, <laughs> where the. Um, the townspeople are saying that the that Marion is a bad influence because she reads uh, questionable stuff like Chaucer and Balzac. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have the Musicman the Musicman soundtrack on vinyl and I listen to it often. It sounds like sounds like a lot of fun. In, it sounds uh, like in, you guys aren't familiar with the Musicman. In college, I actually played the mayor of oh, uh, of the town. Sure, so. is he the one who says you watch your phraseology, or is that just in the movie? I think. I think so. I think that's in the play. I don't remember all of it. The main thing I remember I, about I it... I feel like if you had a line like, you watch your phraseology, you would <laughs> yeah. remember, I right? think I did have to say that. Okay. Maybe you didn't say it with a lot of conviction. Maybe you just... Maybe you were very forgettable. Well, eh, unlike... <laughs> unlike, perhaps, my award-winning turn in The Lion in Winter, my senior year of high school, for which I won Best Actor in the state of Missouri. Missouri. All right. More than one lesson nominated for four podcasts. Now that we're done with that. Wait, hold on. Josh, <laughs> you haven't been here. Obviously, he talks about this on your, on your guys' podcast, too. Oh, yes. But, and in real life. But what I always like to point out when Tyler brings this up is that when he says best actor in the state of Missouri, he means best male high school age actor. Right? At this particular competition. Yeah, this In the that state year. of Missouri. Yeah. It was statewide. It was, uh, you know. know, high schools all over the place. Which meant that every actor who was in high school anywhere was a participant, right? Yeah, they... Every actor who's any actor. I'll say that. <laughs> Put that out there right now. So you guys do a podcast together. It's called More Than One Lesson. Sure it do. Is, yeah. It's Tyler's podcast, and you're his sidekick. And I'm... <laughs> Did you say he's my psychic? <laughs> Both. Okay. It's, it's a lot of that. I'm like, psychic there's psychic. a lot of readings, a lot of palm readings oh, on that show. I'm getting a great... All right. Patent pending, but I'm pitching <laughs> the movie Psychic Sidekick <laughs> to anyone who will hear me. I hope that the psychic sidekick rides in a sidecar <laughs> wherever, the, wherever they go. So yeah, uh, this could be that could be a TV series. You know, there. Okay, are you guys friends uh, fans of Friends, the TV show Friends? I know you know it because your wife is a is a fan, Tyler. Yeah, I'm not. Sh- I'm familiar with it. I would not go as far as say I'm a fan. So do you remember when Joey got cast in a pilot for a cop show called Mac and Cheese? 
where his partner was a robot? I know, I don't remember that. Okay, but well, that's, that's kind of funny. That's a real show now. It's starting this fall. It's not called Mac and Cheese, but it's essentially the same premise of a cop and an android cop. Cop and a robot? Is it a comedy? No, it's a drama. And I think it's. Mm. I know Michael Ely is playing the ro- the robot. Um, <laughs> and I want to say the. Uh, for some reason, I want to say Carl Urban is the. The, co- the human cop. Okay, first and it's like off, in the near future. Let, let me suggest this. I asked if it is a, if it's a comedy. The answer, regardless of what the f- <laughs> the show is trying to be, is a yes. hard yes, resounding I, yes. I like both those actors. I do th- too. This does not seem like, uh, yeah, not a positive. Is it going to be? Uh, when Josh and I were walking around Comic Con, we saw Carl Urban and uh, yeah. some of his handlers walking off that big pirate ship. Oh yeah. Oh, this getting, year. Uh, this year, yeah. Yeah, okay. he was getting Because I saw him taken. last year at a panel. I, it was dread related. But I've also I've seen Michael Ely. Uh, he's a man about town. I have seen him at the Arclight. I've seen him at bars. He's out and about. It would appear that he lives a similar life to you. I guess if you so. see him around, then you or that you're are, following him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you guys, or maybe he's following you. Maybe Uh-oh. he's a big fan of the show. <laughs> so and he just doesn't want to say. I'm of the opinion now that you and Michael Ely would be best friends. It, yeah, goes without saying. You could certainly be. Um, but yeah, uh, so you mentioned More Than One Lesson. I will really quick put out there that uh, the most recent episode of More Than One Lesson features uh, a discussion of Ryan Murphy's Eat, Pray, Love. I forgot that was a Ryan Murphy joint. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It sure is. And, so uh, is it, does it have that like... Um, having I've never seen an episode of Glee. But does it have the like sweaty, desperate, uh, fake boundary pushing that his other shows have? Where he's like, I'm being outrageous, right, guys? Right? I, I don't know if I'd go so far as say that. It's more just a general uh, smug lack of introspection looking like humble introspection. Yeah. Okay. There's nothing outrageous about it, I'd say. No. Didn't he also do a movie called Running With Scissors? Was that him? That was him, yes. That which was, I, heard, really? which I heard was terrible. Augustine Burroughs? Yeah. I didn't know that he made that movie. I did see that one, yeah. which did have, have that feel of trying to be outrageous. Yeah, that was to a very point, poorly reviewed film that year. It was to the point where there were things would happen in the movie, and I was like, oh, I think that's going to come back, because they made such a big deal of it, and then it never did, and I was like, I guess, was that supposed to be edgy? What's going on? I think, and I, as a guy who likes Glee when it's good... Um, I will say one of Ryan Murphy's biggest problems is, uh, and something you could also accuse Baz Luhrmann of, is wanting to have the big moment where things crescendo and not wanting to do the work in between to get from one crescendo to the next. Yeah. Not like, wanting to earn the crescendo. Yeah. Can't we just have one two-hour-long crescendo? And I would like, say... Yes, but then that becomes flat. Yeah. I would say it's been pulled off at least once, and that's Moulin Rouge, a movie that I love that reaches a crescendo about 17 minutes in and then just carries it for the entire <laughs> but there's next still, two hours. there's still dips in there, though. Like, there's like I used to not like Moulin Rouge, and then I did like it. I haven't seen it in a while. I might I might have gone back. I don't know. But but it is... It it goes big and then stays big, but there's still, there's still a couple of dips here and there in between uh, big show-stopping set pieces. But, uh, but yeah, mm. um... Speaking of a couple of dips, anything more you wanted to say? Watch out. Watch out. Look at you. Oh, no. Look at you. Um, This podcast is over. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, well, I did want to say I wanted to use it to transition uh, very briefly into our uh, top of the show topic. I know it's hard to believe that uh, our topic was not all the people that have given us money to talk about them. (laughs) But um, I thought it was. Well, it kind of always is. When we talked about being mentioned on the podcast, all you have to do 
is have a thing to sell and give us some money. Yeah. Really, I don't care if you have a thing. You can make up a thing to sell. That's true. If you give you us could, the money to talk about you every week, we'll do it. Yeah, you could mm. give us, I mean, just email me and I'll send you our press kit and you can uh, find out what our prices are and then uh, you yeah. can just have us t- talk about your birthday coming up. So if you want to like hear that. yourself talked about on the World Wide Web, it's as easy as that. I really don't appreciate your tone. But what I will say <laughs> is the companion film for Eat, Pray, Love was Five Easy Pieces, the, Bi- the Bob Rafelson film. Saw that one. Did you? I didn't know you saw that. Yeah, I've seen that. Okay. I have not seen Eat, Pray, Love. Well, I think you win in this, okay. in this one. Uh, but uh, in... My favorite review, by the way, of um, Best Exotic Marigold Hotel was someone who referred to it as Eat, Gray, Love. Did that person immediately get fired? <laughs> okay. Uh, and then hired in my heart. um no it's uh so in uh so josh and i recently i had seen it he had not seen it uh we watched uh five easy pieces and i haven't seen it in many years and uh i loved it i i like it more now than i did when i first saw it and uh karen black uh noted actress um was in it and Mm -hmm. she was nominated for an oscar for it for supporting actress Mm -hmm. and i think i've only seen her in two other things i saw her in easy rider and i saw her in nashville um i'm mostly familiar with her from nashville but um i I think it's been a long time since i've seen either of those so because i didn't i didn't recognize her and i've seen both of those films but i didn't remember her which is strange she's just a very in again in the limited uh in my limited uh, exposure to her, I, I consider her to be a very, just a very good and a surprisingly versatile actress. You wouldn't think so, but if you watch Nashville, where she plays, I would say not necessarily a cynical person, but somebody who is ambitious. She knows what she wants. She knows how to get it. She understands, you know, in the in the story of Nashville, there's this uh, there's this uh, singer that is basically on the verge of a nervous breakdown, and she's probably. And and she's sort of the the royalty of Nashville, the Nashville music scene, and uh, Karen Black plays the sort of successor to that. And she's, but she's still expected to smile and be happy when this uh, when this this woman named Barbara Jean uh, recovers from you know injuries and that sort of thing and so but she's still very calculating she's very cynical but she's not necessarily a bad person it's a very interesting character interesting performance but compared that compare that to, to the character from five vz pieces yeah. which is she's a very simple maybe even simple-minded character yeah and just and someone that you just sort of, that is kind of histrionic at times and i could see being annoying if you were to hang out with her but at the same time you also just want to put your arms around her and say everything's going to be all right <laughs> and so even between those two films uh that's quite a range yeah and so it is uh, unfortunate that she uh passed away and she's worth remembering uh and i also wanted to mention one other person well uh, i think i have you beat by one okay uh one film because i saw her in a film uh that i don't even really remember of tiny indie movie called gypsy 83 Oh. 2001. Okay. That's about, mm. uh, if I remember correctly, it's about two high schoolers, a gay boy and a goth girl, who are both obsessed with Stevie Nicks, and they run off to New York together. And I think she played like a sort of aging burlesque type. Uh, I could see her dancer, playing that. Yeah. Uh, that they meet there. Yeah. It's it's, not, the movie's not very firm in my memory, but I. And there, mi- there might be some other movie that I've seen her in, and I'm not thinking of it. But those are the three that I definitely remember. Did you see Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean? I did not. Did you see? Burnt Offerings? No, Family I didn't. Plot? No. 
I, I have her. Uh, I also did not see... Did you see, see the one episode of Adam-12 that she was in? No. no. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She was that, uh, she was that uh, woman. Um, it says that she was... Uh, she was the murderer. Susan Decker. Absolutely, Susan Decker. The that's murderer. Right. They had to give her a name. Murderess. Murderess, pardon me. Sorry, I didn't want to be sexist. Let's the be murderer who happens to be a woman. That's the way I look at it. There, see? Enjoy that, She's also in an episode of The Big Valley, which reminds me of... Uh, I, so I've talked about Friends, so I'm going to go uh, on in and talk about how much, even more than Friends, I love Mason, Will, and Grace, and the cowboy-themed lesbian bar was called The Big Valley. Oh, good. On that show. <laughs> I will move on. Uh, I did want to talk about another uh, another actress that passed away that I, I would venture to say I sort of grew up knowing about, and that is uh, Eileen Brennan, who most people our age would know as Mrs. Peacock. Yes. From Clue. Um, I know her from a number Clue of other movie. things. Clue the movie, not the board game. What? Um, no, but I'm saying the... Yeah. It's called Clue the movie. <clears throat> but uh, uh, but she, she's she been in, an, in a number of things. I know her from some stuff in the 70s, uh, The Last Picture Show. She was in The Cheap Detective. Um, and... I did not see Private Benjamin. She's in, um, am I, am I Mr. America? She's in Murder by Death, right? I believe she's in Murder by Death as well. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but she is also in the, in the Chief Detective. And just, and she just always, especially in the 70s, she just gave the impression of being this very strong, independent, uh, clearly intelligent woman. And she was really great with comedy, um, and then if you see if you see her character in um, the last picture show, there's a real sadness that she brings to her character. But she can shed that with ease and go into direct parody. And then in Clue, she's really quite something. Everyone, everyone in that movie is elevating that movie. Um, as as you as listeners know, you and I are a big fan of Madeline Kahn in that film and yeah. in all films. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Eileen Brennan, I was. I went back and watched some clips on uh, YouTube when uh, on the day that she died uh, of her as Mrs. Peacock, and she really is uh, doing some some good work in there. Like the whole her her weird little monologue that no one would ever think of as a notable monologue, where she's just sitting at the table and she just starts off with, "Well, someone might as well break the ice. Someone needs to break the ice, and it might as well be me." I mean, and she just goes on one long run-on sentence, <laughs> and it's just great. And then so just. Great. The business she does with her hat, which just gets more, somehow more and more ridiculous over the course of the film. <laughs> and just, um, and oddly enough, my favorite little, it, it's a one word line that makes me laugh every time I see it. And it's when uh, she opens the door. She's, she's like, oh, whoever it is, they, someone knocks at the door. She says, whoever it is, they got to go away or they'll be killed. And she opens <laughs> and she opens the door, and there's Howard Hessman. And he goes, good evening. Have you ever given any thought to the kingdom of heaven? And she goes, what? And, she just, and that what <laughs> is so incredulous. And then she's, and he says, your souls are in danger. She says, our lives are in danger, you beatnik. And she, and she <laughs> slams the door on him. And she's just so... I can't even describe. I know I've been talking more about Clue. She's a great actress that was great in a number of things, but um, but that's the one I was raised with. Yeah, yeah. And then she was also in Jeepers Creepers, which I didn't see. Which and she's only in she's only in one scene. She just plays like this old crazy woman with a rifle, and she and I remember saying like, "Hey, 
I mean, Brennan. <laughs> Awesome, and she's and she's really great creating. Did atmosphere. you mention the Sting? She's in the Sting. She's in the Sting. That's oh, right. Yeah. Yes. And to to bring it all together to what I, the last thing I said, she's actually in um, like six episodes of Will and Grace. Okay, yeah, that's right. She, uh, I want to say again, my memory's not great, but she played an acting teacher who was like the sort of bitter <laughs> old like chain smoking acting teacher who mostly got her jollies <laughs> like making her students feel miserable with themselves. <laughs> I could see her doing well at that. She did play. Uh, like a drill sergeant in Private Benjamin, which mm-hmm. again I didn't see, but I know she was nominated for. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, I don't know. I for some reason I just felt like talking about Karen Black and, and Eileen Brennan is just two really great, two really great actresses uh, that I feel like certainly Eileen Brennan as I got older, and then Karen Black as I was into as I got into film. Uh, people now that you are old. Now that I am old, yeah. I'm an old man. I'm over thirty. <laughs> um, don't trust me. I don't. I know you don't. I don't trust me either, though. You shouldn't, because I'm over thirty. Yeah. Well, I am thirty. You are thirty. You're you're right on the. Oh, I'm okay. I can still trust me. All yeah. right. I'm thirty. Wait, when's your birthday? May. Oh, so you're recently thirty. Yes. I'm coming right up on thirty-one. All right. So pretty next, soon. Next month. I pretty soon, I don't trust you anymore. Yeah. You believe me, you shouldn't trust him now. <laughs> oh, but, really? All right. but yeah, so I just wanted to mention them. And, and we've How? thrown out a, a number of uh, titles here. You should seek out, I would all say, of all them. of them. All of them, yeah. So, How, How old Gypsy was... Gypsy 83 is not necessarily <laughs> Probably not, a point but... of viewing. I don't remember it being awful. I, I, but, uh, I can picture the cover. It's just a movie that didn't stick with me very much, mm-hmm. but I did see it. How old was uh, Eileen Brown? She was in her 80s. She was in her 80s, okay. Yeah. So, okay. Oh, well, what are we crying about? She had a good run. <laughs> well, that is... It was her time. I mean, I do sometimes think that, that, oh, it's, uh, you know, it's... She had a full and robust life and career, right. but still worth no, remembering. It's, it, yeah, it is, yeah, it's, it's always sad. I mean, Bergman was use, like 91 or whatever when he yeah. died, and I was... That affected me. It's, it's good to use this as an opportunity to reflect on what they contributed to the yeah. art yeah, form. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, we so dearly love. Let's get into it, shall we? All right. Let's talk about the topic. Okay. Which I'm going to... I said my, my catchphrase, and I'm going to hand it over to you, Tyler, because this is your topic. Okay. This, so, is, this is your baby. And I'm going to deliver it. <laughs> hey So, um, okay, a few weeks ago... Okay, so uh, listeners might know, I don't know how uh, much I talk about it, but listeners might know that... Uh, several friends of the show and myself every week get together and, for movie night, and we watch... Uh, and each week, one of the people that well, I didn't one of the regular this. what? Why have you never invited? You've me? been invited. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice <Yeah>. try. <laughs> yeah, so we've been doing this for a number of years, and yeah, um, I've never come once. No, you haven't. Mm. Could come this week. Jason is there. Kyle Anderson is there. Scott Nye is there. I believe this coming week it's friend of the show Kyle Anderson's pick. So oh, I like his tastes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he usually pick some picks fun. some pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you should come. It's a lot, of, a lot of fun. And it's so close to your house. You could walk there. You could literally walk there. Okay. <laughs> I probably won't be there, though. Oh, um, oh you know what? <laughs> Count me in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I hate That's myself. all you had to say. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and so we've we've been doing this for, uh, for a while. And recently, um, it was my pick, and I picked... The film Passion Fish by John Sayles, a director, a writer-director that I like quite a bit. He did Lone Star. He did Sunshine State. 
Uh, he did Matawan. I don't know if that's how you say it. It's Matewan. Matewan. I, I thought me. it was really? Matawan until I watched the movie, and I was like, oh, they just say Matewan. Okay. He also solved. did Brother from Another Planet, which is a yeah. silly name, but is actually a super awesome yeah. movie. Yeah. And Joe, it's an awesome name. Joe Morton. Yeah. Um, and but he's, yeah. A, he's in that one. He and, uh, he oh, and David Strathairn play sort of... Uh, they you'd, you'd think they were like FBI agents, but they're actually evil aliens. Oh, good. Hmm. Does David Strathairn... <laughs> appear in many John Sales movies because he was in Passion Fish as well as well. Yeah. yeah, he's in a lot. He's in Limbo. He's in Limbo. Um, I feel like he... <laughs> yeah, he's, there's more than just those. Yeah, he's... he's I've, I looked it up and he's in He's in quite a few. Um, I should seek out more of those because he's an actor that I enjoy a lot. Yeah, and he's and he's great in Passion Fish. I really yeah. liked Passion Fish quite a bit. I expected to. Um, but, uh, and it's got... So if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix, Netflix Watch Instant. Uh, it's got Mary McDonnell in an Oscar-nominated role, and just just really good in general. But uh, at the beginning of the film, they uh, they do they have sort of this montage showing that Mary McDonnell is kind of this uh, hard-ass type woman, and in between each, I guess I guess it counts as a montage, even though there's you can there's dialogue, there's kind of mini scenes, yeah, and uh, in between each scene is kind of this uh, lone electric guitar and so <laughs> it's kind of like a stinger at the end of each yeah. little segment and it's always followed by something that she says that shows us that she's kind of a hard ass like yeah. so they'll they'll ask her to like they'll ask her to do something at the hospital and she'll be like no one tells me what to do and it goes yeah it's kind of like that and it happens like four or five times yeah and so in watching I'm like oh this seems dated and i also do not care for it uh and then the film settles into what I would venture to say is the more the more common John Sayles quality uh, mm-hmm. you know kind of slow moving character driven uh, Ensemble. Uh, contemplative very much so even though there's definitely a, a made character uh, yeah I'm moving past your uh, your how pleased you are with yourself um, <laughs> I say it like that Ensemble. <laughs> try to say it without any of the consonants <laughs> yeah Ensemble. Ensemble. all right so we can, uh, we apologies. Can we can apologies. entertain ourselves and no one else all night by doing this. Yeah. Apologies to French listeners. The French are furious right now. So, well, what else is new? So, um, so anyway, so after so after the movie, we were talking about it, and we happened to mention that the the stuff that at the beginning of the film, and we mentioned it was very like my first thought was, oh, it's dated, and we talked about it's it felt very nineties in that instance. And then we just started talking more about well, what does that mean? And we th- and we actually didn't delve too far into it, partially because I am I know a to- I know a podcast topic when I hear one, and I was like, I don't want to go too far into this because <laughs> I want to save it, and we'll see what happens. But Josh was there for that conversation, and so I thought I would invite him on, and we would talk. It's about- a smart move because I wasn't there for that conversation, so I'm going to let you guys take the lead. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sure you, I have no doubt that you'll have stuff to, to chime in with because it is something that I found very fascinating once I was thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll preface it by saying, you know, you can kind of tell that there are movies that are quintessential 60s movies. You can tell they're from the 60s. Even a movie as even a movie like um, Charlie, based on the play Flowers for Algernon, they still incorporate a lot of 60s into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and stuff like, you know, Easy Rider, certainly. And then you can tell movies from the 70s. Not all of them, obviously, but a good number of them have a certain type of vibe. Um, 
And so I wanted to talk about, well, what is the vibe of movies from the 90s? And it was the first time I ever thought of it, partially Mm -hmm. because, you know, I was I grew up in the 90s. That was when I was getting into movies. And so you I feel like we tend not to think of the things that we love and that mean so much to me, uh, mean so much to us. We try not to think of them as easily categorized Hmm. and thus ghettoized. But when I talk about like 90s movies, I don't necessarily mean movies that are in there that are essentially about the 90s, but they also just feel like the 90s. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I wanted to talk about is 90s movies, not merely going through and talking about movies that came out in the 90s, but movies that just Uh, embody that spirit. What makes them... Yeah. Yeah, what are the characteristics of a 90s movie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think... Like you were saying, part of it is that we don't tend to – people in our age group especially don't tend to think of things that we're attached to like that in a compartmentalized way. But I think it's also that it – obviously it takes time to step outside of it. And I, I mm-hmm. think it takes about – like I think it takes about 10 to 15 years away from the decade. It, it is because it's – I remember having conversations with high, in high school with friends being like – when they make a Dazed and Confused about us, like, what are the fashions going to be? And yeah, being so exactly. close to it that it's like, well, I see a variety of fashions. I don't know how it's going to be boiled down. And I feel like in recent years, we are starting to see the 90s become a thing that people can can point to. Exactly. Like, it's it's to the point where there, you can have a 90s-themed party. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in, like, 2005, if somebody said that, I would have been like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> Yeah, what would you do? But would yeah, just now play grunge music? I don't know. And that that's a big part of it. And that's mm. a big part of – okay – I know you guys had the conversation, but I want to sort of put out uh, a big thing that I think of um, in the 90s is the uh, rather embarrassing term Generation X, which mm-hmm. like, yeah. by the way, can you believe that like for 10 years people went around just saying Generation X? Like, no. <laughs> I'm, like it's ridiculous. It's even more ridiculous than Millennials, which is also embarrassing. Yeah. But Generation X, like... And Gen Xers, as yeah. they turned it into. Oh, man, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> but um, I think... the main things that I see and that I think are embodied in what you're describing in Passion Fish is that that generation's attitudes being reflected in the rise of independent film Mm -hmm. and then that generation's attitudes attempting to be co-opted by studio films yeah, absolutely. At, at the same time. And I think you I think you see I can, I can think of periods almost or sorry, films from each of those decades that I think do that. Mm-hmm. Like you can think and it's always the the youth that are kind of uh kind of a counter counterculture movement. Like I can think about when I think of sixties films, I can think of like films where beatniks are portrayed and, and in the sixties it's more especially um studio things kind of trying to co-op that or, or right, approximate right. it somehow and it always comes off a little bit false especially in the 60s i think i think that they get a little better at it as time goes on but i think through every decade there are films where the studio execs are like okay well what are the kids like and they're like in the 70s it's hippies like well this is the this is what the hippies are like in the 90s it's like maybe the grunge culture like maybe the skateboard culture or something 80s is a little harder to pin down maybe like uh Maybe the goth culture, like the Cure, Dead Kennedys, that sort of thing. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to pin it down to one right. thing for anything, yeah. any any decade. But um, I I think what you see in um, both in independent and studio films in the '90s is your hero being a sort of quote unquote anti-hero by having a, a, a sort of practiced disaffection, you know, mm-hmm. or you know, uh, an affected 
distance. <laughs> you know, like there's there's a there's a lot of postmodern wisecracking. You know, be it uh, the things Mary McDonald's saying in Passion Fish, or be it uh, Will Smith you know, saying a laugh line to an alien he's just punched in the face, you know? Mm. Uh, Like, there's a a self-awareness and an idea that, like, we're not taking this too seriously, guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in some some ways, maybe that um, comes through uh, and is earned, uh, but in a lot of ways, I feel like it it feels like, I've used the word already, but an affectation. Yeah, I'm glad that you said self-awareness because as I because I've been thinking about this for t- basically 2 weeks now and trying to think well what what is the and I'm not talking about movies like, you know, Shakespeare in Love, although I guess that does have certain qualities. Um movies like for example like a reality bites or something like that but any it it spans all genres. Well, I'll the, get oh, to scream in a minute. I'll point to Okay. The Okay, um one of the greatest sketch comedy TV series of all time that does not get its due was the short-lived Ben Stiller show. That was a great show. Mm-hmm. And it got this in the I, I think so much so it's so spot on in the way that it lampooned these things. Like the dandruff at, commercial? At the time. The dandruff commercial is the thing that I'm talking about. You can yeah. find it on YouTube or you can just get the DVD like I did because it's amazing <laughs> and you want to watch it over and over again. Uh, but it's basically it's, it's two guys at like a farmer's market type thing and one of them is like seeing this girl that he is interested in and the other one is just being I don't even know how to describe it but just this very glib yeah, and very glib. smug and just kind of this thing it's like oh it's, and and you saw it in commercials all the time like the the not the goofy but the the hip friend who's being kind of a, an asshole uh-huh. but just like is like oh hey hey there's that girl too bad you've got Dandruff, dandruff, and it always says it like that. And then, have you seen this sketch? No. Oh, oh it's so great, and it's we so spot just on. Pause, pause the podcast and go watch it because it's one of my favorite sketches yeah. in the history of the form. But what I what I wanted to say is the thing that I think really characterizes because I was looking at one aspect at the core of everything, and there might be something deeper than this, but the one that I got to was the the idea of awareness. Oddly enough, you heard the term awareness in any number of uh, contexts in the 90s. We're trying to raise awareness. We're tra- it's always that. that com- now, what is the, what's the opposite of awareness is not knowing. And George H.W. Bush and Reagan were seen as out of touch. They don't know. They don't get it. And so the 90s was and, – and – electing a cool president like Bill Clinton who could go out to play the sax. <laughs> That's how you know Which somebody is cool. The, the, I don't know. <laughs> the, the saxophone isn't the coolest instrument. I guess right. Well, I guess d- of the wind instruments, it's probably the coolest. Yeah. Although, of course, as we know from Anchorman, jazz flute is by Wait, far it, the coolest. Is a saxophone a wind instrument? It's not, is it? It's, it's a, a br- horn. It's a horn. Brass. brass. Yeah, it's a brass yeah. instrument. So of that, it's probably the coolest. Although, you know what? I like the trumpet. Yeah. Trumpet can be cool. I think. The trumpet I think is the, I think a the, really assertive instrument. I think the tuba is pretty sexy. Um, that's <laughs> I feel like true. the the saxophone is kind of a creep. <laughs> you know, like it's trying to sidle up, whereas the trumpet is like, "Hey, I'm here. I'm the trumpet." There, there's a way to make sax pretty. I feel like uh, John Lurie, who does uh, tenor sax. I think he specifically with the lounge lizards does pretty awesome things with uh, with the mm. instrument. I find maybe. This is a little off topic, but a little on topic too. Being the age that we are, mm-hmm. I 
came to as a child to equate the saxophone with a certain like corniness or cheesiness because mm-hmm. it's always in like I don't know silk stockings or whatever. There's always, like <laughs> yeah. that's what I think of. I think that's coming off of like the late '80s because especially yeah, yeah. musical trends in the late '80s where brass was big. It was yeah. uh, it was in a lot of brass was king. And it's only, <laughs> brass like, was king. Now if I go back and I listen to like uh, X-ray Specs or a band that like used the saxophone in a really sort of like assertive punk mm-hmm. way it it makes sense to me now but it was a, it was an automatic turnoff for years for me that you, instrument you said you said assertive way and i was about to say like careless whisper but then you said assertive punk way and i was like right. oh, that doesn't <laughs> um but yeah and so i will quote uh, dennis miller real quick and he just he was talking about bill clinton playing the sax and he just said as we know from the animaniacs theme song but um <laughs> right but he just said he's like oh we are all so fascinated by that saxophone. He's like, he's like, oh, we're ama- we're amazed that we have a president that can actually fucking do something. It's like, <laughs> oh, if he can speak another language, I'll shit myself. <laughs> and just, but anyway, and so, yeah, so that's do, the thing. Do, is have it, we it, had a? When was the last time we had a president who was fluent in another language? I don't know. You know what? I I I could see George W. Bush able to speak Spanish. I wonder. Yeah. It, w- it wouldn't sense. surprise me. John Kerry speaks French. We almost had a, had him. Came pretty close. I feel like I don't want. I I want a president who specifically won't speak French. <laughs> who you refuses really ladling it on the French, <laughs> ladling it on like a. To uh, my knowledge, what was that? Ladling it on like a like a thick pungent roux, <laughs> <laughs> or like a lot of cheese on a baguette or something. Um, but anyway, so to go back, I will say that like I think it's this idea of. We're not out of touch. We know what's going on. And not only do we know what's going on, but we have all the information available. And this is even before internet a little bit. It's like we're in a modern age, a modern technological age. We're Mm. as advanced as we've ever been. We know what's going on and we are safe to comment on it. We can say anything we want about it. You watch a movie like Clerks or even Pulp Fiction or any number of, of movies in which you have people talking about, not even about their lives, but about culture. I feel like that came to prominence in the 90s specifically. Yeah, I think that's true. I think you see a lot more movies that specifically deal with pop culture. Like, it became more of an obsession, I think, in the 90s, and I think it continues today. I think I don't like, even know if obsession is the right word. I feel like pop culture, it, it, more so in the 90s than before, and it's a process that has gone on, has become the culture. Yeah, you know, as opposed to something, pop culture is not necessarily something external that you are obsessed with. Mm-hmm. It's who you are and what you live in, mm-hmm. m- more and more. Mm-hmm. If that makes, I don't know if you agree with that, but I, I feel like it's mm-hmm. it, it's it's less something to even comment on than it is something to just to just be. Maybe it's more of a preoccupation with pop popular culture. I feel like you don't see as many movies like even back in the eighties where like. Like, like Clerks, for instance, there are extended periods where they talk about Star Wars or they talk about, you know, comic books. I think I don't remember Clerks so well. I remember the Star Wars stuff. I assume there's comic book stuff, but I don't really remember. <laughs> I don't really remember either. It's there been might, a long there time might not since be. I've seen Clerks. They talk but, about Jaws. They talk about uh, right. Indiana Jones and Star Wars yeah. and stuff. So, and maybe maybe Kevin Smith is one of the people, people who sort of led that charge. I mean, he kind of seems to be king of the fanboys, maybe. Well, and also... But, at the time, I'm sorry. I'll let you uh, finish your point in a moment. But like with Kevin Smith, the reason Clerks caught on was because people saw it and said, "They're just these characters are just like us. 
they're talking about the stuff that we're talking about finally you know and stuff like but they're that. not they're more they're like they're like uh <laughs> very meager aspirations of ourselves they still have shitty jobs and yeah. they still talk about uh nothing but they do it a lot more eloquently than we probably did d- right oh in many ways god help us they're who we wish we could be uh, again, as far as how with, they could talk but only with very we, i'm hoping that most people wish they could be a little bit more than that <laughs> oh, yeah. like, on a the, limited the, range of topics yeah the, yeah the first step of wishing gets yeah. us to them oh maybe. i'm talking about uh, i'm not talking about us now i mean like at the time it where just because movies didn't portray it didn't mean people weren't having conversations about pointless things not to imply star wars is pointless or anything like that but stuff that you know movies were about very important things and they were having very unimportant conversations and so in that way it almost i think gave the audience not permission but it sort of let them know this is okay to do is be interested in things that don't matter Mm -hmm. um but I, I, I interrupted you, Josh. Did you have more to, to say? Because you mentioned like Kevin Smith and Clerks and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I was saying maybe he was one of the first people that that sort of did that. Because I think, I think there are other movies. I mean, in a way, Pulp Fiction, too. I, I think it doesn't it, – it does go into pop culture. I think it's more of like – like you see a lot of it in the in Jackrabbit Slims, like kind of the 50s but pop culture. But it's still – Even – I mean, if, on – on Tarantino, Reservoir Dogs opens with a monologue about Madonna. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that's, that's true. It's very 90s. Yeah, and there's, you know, I think that in Tarantino, you maybe see a coupling of two things that probably came to for, or came to prominence in the 90s. One is talking about pop, popular culture, but another is um, the idea of of focusing on trivialities in the face of things that seem much more important. I feel like that's kind of a trend you don't see as much in films kind of before the Yeah, 90s. I think that goes back to what I was talking about, about uh, the characters sort of being at a distance from the situation. Right, yeah. Which happened in the 80s with uh, every character Bill Murray played in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but he, you could say he was ahead of his time, I'd yeah, say, Yeah, and Murray. I think it became more of a, a, of a almost a philosophical... Like, I feel like we've mostly been kind of um, denigrating these trends, but uh, this thing with popular culture and the idea... You know, there's this thing... I've talked about this show before. I hate this term, but I like, I guess, the impulse at least. This this thing that's popular among film fans on the internet now, vulgar auteurism. The idea that someone... Which is made, a whole episode in itself. It is a whole... <laughs> I want to do it. But, but the idea is basically that someone who makes uh, pop art, essentially, or makes movies that are vulgar, that are for the masses, hmm. um, deserves to be discussed in the same way as... Uh, you know, a Michael Haneke or a, or a you know an art house director. I agree. Um, I just don't like calling it vulgar. I just call it auteurism. I agree, but I, I mean, they mean. I think they mean vulgar in the sort of the more right. classic no, sense. I, yeah, yeah, of in the Latin being, sense. But still, it's just but, why differentiate? Um, I agree with that. But uh, I think what I was saying before that I felt like you guys kind of disagree with, but I kind of want to want to keep pushing at this point is the idea of pop culture becoming our culture and not being. Not being a preoccupation or 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 just an interest, um, you know, like collecting stamps or whatever. That pop pop culture is um, a big part of what defines us and how we define ourselves. And, and so, talking for ten minutes about Madonna songs and you know about 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 True Blue or or, or I, I can't remember what songs he talks about. Like a Virgin is like a Virgin one. and True Blue. Um, that. 
that that is just as worthwhile as discussing the works of Osei Chaucer. <laughs> it, it, you know, um, that we we don't have to be snobbish and separate this. In fact, Madonna probably means a lot more, um, not just as a distraction or something to listen to uh, or, or dance to, but means more emotionally um, to a person living now than the high-minded stuff uh, uh, ever could. And, well, and, and so, yeah, I, mean, I, I you know, I, I've been thinking... I, I, this week, and I, I tend to be a little bit behind on like stuff that's really popular. So this this week, I finally listened to the uh, new Miley Cyrus song "We Can't Stop." I don't know if you guys have heard it, but yeah. it's amazing. I've listened to it uh, twenty times this week. I heard good things it's, about it on Never Not Funny. Really? Yeah, they okay. said they really liked it. It's a really great song. In fact, like I think um, we did an episode a while ago. Wait, did we actually do this episode or just talk about doing it? About the idea that um, the themes of a film don't necessarily have to be intentional. That things, yes, unintended themes. We, that, we did that. Okay, that things just bubble up. And I feel like this song, We Can't Stop by Miley Cyrus, is so poignant about so much stuff that's going on. Even though on its surface, its lyrics seem so incredibly vapid. Um, you, you know, uh, including the, the line... Um, we run things, things don't run we, which is so funny to me. But also, I think <laughs> that's actually surprisingly clever. Yeah, it's like uh, it, that. That line really gets to me. Um, and so, uh, I guess I have this attachment. I don't really have the same attachment to True Blue or Like a Virgin. Um, but uh, I, because I was too much of a little kid. But now that I'm a grown up, I'm the same age maybe as Quentin Tarantino. What? what how old was he when he made? Reservoir Dog, probably younger than I am now. Yeah, um, probably. So, for him to be thinking seriously about uh, what many would consider disposable pop songs uh, was, I, I think, not only just a weird quirk of the time, but almost kind of revolutionary. Now, it's something that I do regularly. Are you saying that reflected the that the culture at the time, or that informed culture, and we have now? To the point where we have now absorbed it, and that's where we are. I, I think I think I think art and reality tend to feed off one another right. a little bit. So maybe I think there are people, probably nerdy people like Quentin Tarantino, who um, were doing this and were thinking seriously about popular culture before, probably before the '90s even. Um, and it was a growing thing. And then the fact that these people went on to make movies and stuff where this happened helped it along. So I think it's a symbiotic thing, and I I do which I, think... I tend to feel that way about um, any subject where you get into the the discussion of like did you know uh, our move you know does art reflect reality or does reality reflect art I think it's both yeah the answer is yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah I'm trying to think what the um because we've thrown out a few titles already um like clerks and uh, everything Tarantino um, and I'm trying to think so what why did you if these were conversations that people were having and I think they are or they, they they were and certainly are now but like I think they were conversations that people were genuinely having clearly Tarantino was having these conversations with his friends Kevin Smith was having these conversations with his friends so and they just put it on screen and so why was it so revolutionary at the time? Why did we not see movies pre even something I, like even somebody like a John Hughes 
who made movies about people of a certain age who engage in movies and television and music. And, and he chose to let that culture inform his movies as far as musical choices he makes, but not necessarily the things they talk about. I think, hmm. I, I know I haven't let Josh talk in like a million years <laughs> here, um, but I think it has to do with the rise of the independent film, um, which obviously films made independently go back for at least to the 50s. And probably there were some, you go back even further to Maya Duren and stuff like that. There's independently produced films throughout the history of, mm-hmm. of, of cinema. But I think um, with uh, home video, with uh, cable television. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was and, going to say home with, video. And, and with film festivals growing uh, or, or getting you know more coverage, uh, things that, you know, a, a, a studio exec or, or whoever you know i know we have this idea of people in our minds who you know chopping cigars and saying no to things <laughs> but um a studio exec might have looked at the reservoir dog script and say we can't have a character talking about madonna for 10 minutes that's mm-hmm. that's stupid yeah just um, get to the fight get to the violence yeah yeah um and so which, I which think he does by the way <laughs> these yeah these things oh, were I'll able to there. come up in in these in these independent these american indies uh and then become successful and then of course that's when studios say well it worked uh, you know their whole yeah. their whole like philosophy is if it worked <laughs> that's, once, it will that's work again traditionally what seems to happen when when something outside of the studio test system does something that works fantastically then they're like oh no we all do that and then they just kind of <laughs> right. adapt to it but i think well, there's the thing you always talk about the billy crystal line from the yeah, oscars yeah from the oscars uh it, after 96 when fargo and everything was was nominated he said he said oh this is the year of the independent film they made so much money so now uh, next year, Hollywood is going to make a lot of independent films for two hundred million dollars each. <laughs> so, which yeah. turned out to be true, by the way. Yeah, but you but were saying I was going to say like I think, I think that's true that there, there there was a, a I think there was a kind of an underground desire to see something different than. Uh, your studio blockbusters because the you know, age of blockbuster starts in the mid seventies. And kind of goes throughout the 80s, and by the time you get to the end of the 80s, it's kind of staled a little bit, uh, so that people who are the underground people like Quentin Tarantino, Kevin Smith, whatever, uh, Coen Brothers probably, um, are not interested in making those kind of movies, but that's the kind of movies that the studios are interested in making because they they make money. Um, so I think once you get to a point where there's all these people who get an opportunity because of, like you said, home video, cable television, a lot of these new things that were coming out, once they get that opportunity to be out there they they were tapped into something that the popular culture wanted as well and so when the popular culture reciprocates and says yeah we want to go see that then that happens for the rest of the decade and i think that kind of the same thing starts to happen towards the end of the decade where everybody gets tired of uh witty characters talking about pop culture mm-hmm. you've seen it a hundred thousand times then um Yes, yeah, suddenly Gladiator, the very sincere Gladiator, uh, makes a lot of money and wins Best Picture and all this sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I so. feel like um, uh, I wonder if it's some someone who heard what the topic was going to be would not have expected the conversation we're having right now. I think we would have. They would have expected us to talk more about trends and talk yeah. about. Well, I think we're talking about thematic trends. Yeah, in a way. yeah. Um, but I guess. Uh, uh, it's funny that I feel like now I've taken over the episode, but um, <laughs> what it's, you know what? 
it's the nature of it. Like, for example, after this, Josh and I are going to record a mini-sode uh-huh. for More Than One Lesson about Annie Hall. I haven't seen it in a long time. And so I'm content to just – I say now I'm content to let him carry it. But I know from history I'm going to have stuff to say. If, yeah. you, if you start to talk, I'm just going to be like, shut up. I have something to say. Yeah, well, I can't. Like, uh, yeah, I sat down here thinking. What was that, that sidekick? <laughs> I'm sorry. You don't tell me to shut up. <laughs> I sat down today thinking I didn't have that much to say about the topic, but I'm realizing that I kind of do. Um, but if you look at each decade and how we defined it, this is something you were talking about, uh, Josh, earlier. We tend to define the decade by the youth culture first and foremost. Yeah. You know, this current era we're living in right now isn't going to be defined by what 50 year olds are watching on tv it's going to be defined by we can't stop by miley cyrus you know stuff like that um i think i think future that kind of stuff um and and so uh, i feel like i I want to maybe shift gears a little bit and talk about teen movies of of the 90s Mm. because that's that has that has the music in it that has the fashion in it and that has the uh and it very much has this like being smart about trivial topics thing if you look at uh, Clueless, which is probably one of the great teen comedies of the nineties, uh, I think. I don't know. Almost last time you watched it, but it's. Have you ever seen it? No. And you haven't seen it in forever. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. Oh my god! I talked to two people who never saw Clueless. <laughs> it's so good. What a world! It's a very good movie. Like I'm, I'm not Jen, just. Jen I, was watching it the other day, and I caught a scene, and I and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I want to make clear. I'm not saying this is like, oh, this is a movie I liked when I was a teenager that uh, you know I still have a fondness, fondness for. I fully. Uh, believe that if I watched Clueless for the first time today, I would I would love it. It's mm-hmm. a really good movie. You know, that makes me think of something else that uh, kind of think of the sort of comedy that I, having not seen Clueless, I, I, I've i seen, I think, bits of it and I kind of know what it's like. And that attached me to something else which I think might also typify uh, films of the 90s and maybe particularly films, uh, teen films of the 90s is I feel like sarcasm becomes more of a thing than it has been before. Like sarcasm has been around for a long time, but um, I think that became a lot of what our comedy is in the 90s. Um, It's that same kind of awareness and like stepping aside. Like we're looking at these characters and clues and we're kind of making fun of them. Yeah, yeah. um, Because they're... uh, That reminds me of maybe one of the single most 90s movies possible, uh, which is called So I Married an Axe Murderer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, and be, like the opening shot follows it's at a coffee house again super 90s yeah it follows the the camera is i don't know if you've seen have you seen do you remember the opening shot it, no i don't i've I've seen the movie but it's been a long, it's time. Been a long it's, time for me too it's a shot of a coffee cup being carried it's sort of like the spike lee shot of like the camera being affixed to the thing so mm-hmm. it's a coffee cup being carried i don't know if you remember in the 90s they had on friends there were those enormous coffee cups yeah so you go through this whole coffee shop with just this coffee cup in the front, and then it like gets handed, like it's a point of view shot of the waiter, yeah, uh, or waitress, and it gets handed to Mike Myers, and the first thing he says is, "Oh, I'm sorry, I ordered the large coffee." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, anyway, that's like maybe the most '90s scene that ever happened in a movie: <laughs> a coffee shop followed by sarcasm, lots so, of lots of plaid that, flannel, and that's a lot of what his comedy is in a lot of his movies. It, mm-hmm. uh, the Austin Powers ones are the same way. It's a lot of this kind of sarcasm, or even maybe a a bit of a Schadenfreude. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, it's odd that you, it's not odd that you bring up Austin Powers. It is a very 90s film in many ways. Um, so knowing the internet as I do, I assumed that there would be, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. What I will say is... Put a pin in that. I'll put a pin in that. Um, I I can't think of a movie in which someone says, come on, it's the 80s. 
I can't think of a movie in which someone says, come on, it's 2000 whatever. I can think of a lot of movies that say it's the 90s or yeah. TV shows. A lot of TV shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've noticed that like um, like My So-Called Life, um, which is very 90s. Um, Roseanne, once it got into the 90s, definitely did yep. that. Uh, I used to actually, it's funny you mention that because I forgot, I used to have a list in my head of TV shows that declared that it was the 90s. Yeah. So that's the thing is, I felt like that was true, but I didn't know if it was true. So I went looking for an online supercut, uh-huh. and sure enough, I found one. <laughs> um, and it is... Oh, if we still did show notes like we used to back on the old website, yeah. I would want to link to that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was very happy that I found it, um, because it is that idea, and, and one of them is Austin Powers, in which... Mm. Uh, uh, I forgot, Elizabeth Hurley... In which she's you saying... You forgot Elizabeth Hurley's name. Yeah. I'm so, well, I was trying to think of her character name. But... Um, oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. I, ex- <laughs> it's right. probably something suggestive. Very possible. <laughs> but um, but she is talking about the 60s versus the 90s. And she says, you know, no, that's not how things are. Things are like this now. And I think one of the reasons that we... Well, he says... Only sailors wear condoms. Well, not no, in the they, 90s. No, I was like, well, well they, they should. should. They go from port to port. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's a good movie. That, that I, movie... I, we, we've talked about it many yeah. times that that movie has... Its reputation is unfortunately sullied by its uh, less than stellar sequels. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it is... A, that first one is really funny. Yeah. Um, but the... Uh, and so I want to return... And, I, and I'm fine with, uh, in a moment, going and talking about, you know teen or youth oriented film but for a moment i do want to talk about now i recognize that uh with the 80s we look back at the fashions and we look back at maybe some of the uh themes or philosophical trappings that come through and we and we think oh man that's so 80s uh and we do but we do it with the 90s as well and I was trying to think, well, what is it about the 90s? I mean, sure, yeah, you've got your MC Hammer and stuff. But I like in a deeper way, I mean, if you watch something and someone says, come on, it's the 90s, I roll my eyes. And I think it's because... <laughs> and you think that's so 90s. <laughs> yeah, it, that's so 90s. Because, and it goes back to what I was saying, and I, I don't want to be condemning of the decade because it produced some amazing art of all kinds. And... So I don't want to. I don't want to do that. But what I will say is, there is a certain degree of self satisfaction in which, when people say it's the '90s, what they're saying is, it's mo- we're we're in modern times now. Get rid of your your old way of thinking. It's the '90s. You can do whatever you want, and everything is fine. Uh, in some and, ways, and that's an empowering. In some in some ways, yes, but it's almost always employed in a way to make someone else feel bad. Uh. Or as an advertising campaign. Yes, there is that as well. And honestly, if you do look at advertising trends, that happens a lot more in the 90s. It starts like the have it your way culture. Like that becomes more of a thing. And that's that's the thing is I'm not even necessarily bashing that, but more just the general tone of looking down on the – just like a total lack of foresight – and only thinking in in terms of hindsight, recognizing, oh, look how far we've come, and clearly we're the best we've ever, we're the best we'll ever be right, <laughs> right. now. I, I do think that was a little bit of the the attitude then, and I think you can see now the pendulum's kind of swung the other way, where I think it's more, uh, it's more in fashion now to be more mindful about 
to, to be, I guess, less sure of yourself, which seems on the one hand is a bad thing. Uh, but on the other hand, it's kind of, uh, maybe more, maybe more understanding, maybe more accepting. I, I think, um, uh, to use those embarrassing terms again, the the typical millennial is more of a positive thinker as opposed mm-hmm. to the pessimism of a Gen Xer. Yeah. Yeah. And just because, yeah, because I do think, and I think the pessimism comes from this idea of, I apologize, I'm going to go into my typical hippie voice in which I say like, hey, man. It always starts with, hey, man. Yeah. It's just <laughs> like. That's how you know you're talking to a hippie. It starts off with, hey, man. <laughs> but uh, it just like, we're not like, you know, we're not like those fascists in the Nixon administration or the reg. Like, it's, it, first off, it starts with an assumption of superiority and, and feeling as though, well, the more you know, the less happy you'll be. Because if you're look not at all angry, this. You're not paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, look at all this shit around us, and you have the audacity to be happy? Fuck you. I'm awesome. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to get a, a, a comically large cup of coffee. But um, <laughs> Isn't that, isn't that uh, the main character from Naked? That's kind of his... Uh... I never saw it. Oh, oh really? You haven't watched it yet? No, not You've yet. You've had I was my copy b- for four months. Yeah. How long did I have in the mood for love? I, nearly Ten two years, years, I think? Almost two years. Okay. So... Uh-huh. Uh, but you reminded me of another example of something that's very 90s. This character you're doing is very similar to a character that David Cross would do on Mr. Show. He's and like, then would just become. <laughs> that's, I'll leave that commentary aside, but yes, I, I, I agree. He's pretty pretty much insufferable. Um, but he did the, the guy who's like, I don't own a TV. Oh. And someone was like, uh, someone asked him, hey, did you see this thing on the news? He's like, I don't know about you, but I read the news. <laughs> <laughs> Which for a while was something that I would say in reference to that, and I realized, like, most people don't know that I'm referencing that. They think <laughs> I'm just being a douchebag. <laughs> What's the deal with that guy? Yeah, you gotta gotta watch those references when you're <laughs> when you're going into character that no one knows about and is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta be careful. Um Anything else you need to say about the 90s? W- what else came up in your conversations? Well, one thing that I thought of afterwards, uh, well, two things. And maybe I'll go with the, the obvious one first, which is music. Like, there's some music that, and this may go in too much into a conversation of music rather than movies, but I guess it's when mu- music appears in movies, there is music that is distinctly 90s, the same way that there's music that's distinctly 70s or 80s. Um, and by the way, it's something... Um, that is starting to come creep back into indie music now. Like it's been long enough. Oh yeah. That like mid nineties alternative music, you hear that, 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 uh, inspiration, which yeah. there was a while there in like the two thousands and earlier, uh, you know, just a couple of years ago where I was thinking like our bands, like, I don't know, the smashing pumpkins or Mazzy star, or I don't know, <laughs> letters to Cleo. Like, are they going to have any influence? I'm not, I don't think letters to Cleo is going to have much influence. <laughs> My apologies to the members of letters to Cleo. Uh, <laughs> Who are all uh, avid listeners of the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what, you are, what else are they doing? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> uh, but you, you are starting to see, um, that sound, uh, which is difficult to describe, but you're starting to hear it come back. Yeah, I feel like there's two things that seem distinctly 90s music. One of them is that kind of I want to say singer-songwriter, but that's not exactly right. Like, I feel like if I say Counting Crows, and you know what I'm talking about, uh-huh. like, that sounds distinctly 
uh, uh, 90s to me, and then grunge, obviously. And grunge is the same way. That's starting. That is influencing music that's out now. I don't know if you listened at all to like uh, this band called Cloud Nothings. There's the Savages. Uh, yeah, yeah, Some of these yeah. ones kind of um, have vestiges waves, of that. Waves, I don't know, yeah. two Vs. Like yeah. they, they seem like a very 90s uh, influence band. Yeah, so there's a lot of that stuff that's kind of come back around. But anyway, regardless to say... I like those bands, but... You just yeah, I, I do as well. Um, but uh, when when some of that music appears in there, it, it's probably the same thing that you're, again, appealing to youth culture, so you put in the music that's big with the young people. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think... Uh, this is regressing a little bit to what we were talking about before, but I think some of the stuff that seems very 90s to me is the studio appropriating that culture and trying to regurgitate it and and often not understanding it. Um, because much like anybody who doesn't, who's trying to approximate something but doesn't understand it, it's often they, they always do too much. Mm-hmm. Like something's too 90s. Like you have a character that dresses... Uh, to counterculture or likes everything that young people like yeah, yeah. or or um <laughs> i think there's, there's an episode there's a good episode of mad men where they're saying like get something that's like the beatles but not the beatles like it sounds like the beatles but it's not the beatles and so you would you know, th- there was well, music uh, like that i've in... recently been rewatching uh the first couple seasons of buffy the vampire slayer which is oh, okay. 97 98 mm-hmm. and that was a wb show and oh, yeah. you would see on these shows at the time um the characters would often frequent a place where live music was played, and Warner Brothers Records would have the, like whatever act they were trying to push. And it's always people, in almost every case, like a bands. 1960s sci-fi movie where they incorporate a, a low <laughs> yeah, level band. Totally. Um, uh, yeah, and and you'd see in like like every other episode of Buffy, they go, they hang out at the Bronze, and there's some band playing that it's like. These, these these are not artists. I mean, that's being a little harsh. But it's like, this is a band. It's now the late 90s. They've figured out the formula. And then that, they're just playing that. <laughs> is, am I remembering wrong? Or is Yola Tengo in an episode of Buffy the Vampire? Yola, okay. like, am um, I making that up? Chibamato is in an episode. Um, I think I might be imagining Amy Mann that. is in a later episode. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. And then... Um, Kay's Choice is like the 190s one. I don't that even actually know that one. To have, a, have a hit. But uh, they were on an episode as well. <laughs> but Amy Mann her, actually had a line oh, yeah? on the episode where she's like, uh, she's like playing, like the band's playing, and I think there's like a fight where a vampire gets dusted or whatever. Uh, that's the Buffy term for getting killed because it <laughs> turned to dust. So vampire uh, gets dusted, and then like you're backstage and you see the band leaving the stage, and Amy Mann like turns to her like rhythm guitarist ever just like i hate playing these vamp towns <laughs> <laughs> she has a she has a good comedic sense about her have you seen her on portlandia I have. Yeah, yeah oh yeah she's great on that yeah she's um, she said on uh the best show on wfmu someone recently that like the number one thing people want to talk to her about when they find her see on the street is buffy the vampire slayer really no she knows no she knows nothing about it like <laughs> she just did this one scene that's great but, um, um, uh, go ahead well, I was just going to say that that's one of the more obvious things is is the music. Where did you have something else to say on the music front? No, go ahead. Okay, um, you said you had well, two points. I have, one was oh, music. I have one other thing. Should I let you go first? No, uh, I, no I was going to move into uh, I was going to move into horror movies, but go on. Okay. The other thing I was going to say, and this is more from a technical standpoint, and I think this is again something that happens with every new decade. Um, there are, uh, it seems to me, there are technical advances that come into play, and then. When those come into play, they become in vogue then, and they happen a lot. 
Um, an obvious one I can think of from the seventies is the, uh, the zoom lens. Uh-huh. <laughs> you watch that. And sometimes that's a really seventies thing to be like, there's no reason to start far away and zoom into this. Some of Sam, Sam Fuller's seventies films, mm-hmm. it's all the white dog. If you've ever seen that, it's like every shot is a zoom shot. And I was explaining this to my wife, like this is kind of hacky that he's doing uh-huh. this. I like him as a director. He's a little pulpy, but, um, but that's one of those things. It was like, they had those zoom lenses. And so that was like, they, there's a lot of of those and you can tell when they start too because they're far away in the way they look anyway um so there are technical advances like that that then seem to be throughout so i was trying to think of some of the particular ones in the 90s well, i'll I, tell you one that leaves to mind that was more prevalent in music videos than movies which is the fisheye lens and hype, yeah. hype williams doing those like brilliant colors and fisheye lens if you mm-hmm. think of you know missy elliott missy elliott videos and stuff like that and he made a movie called belly that i never saw i haven't seen it either uh, but uh, i just i can only imagine that every shot is a fish <laughs> <laughs> well and i was going to say about that i think one of the things that we see there is the is the music video culture and that turns into um a lot of quick cutting mm-hmm. so you see that more i think in the 90s than you do in other things like where they like to go back and forth really quick um or like i'm thinking of some of the sequences from uh, the similar ones in both snatch and a uh the Darren Aronofsky, what's his second film? Can't think of the name. Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream. There are sequences where they they portray something happening by showing like quick, quick, like one second shots. Like yeah, there, there's yeah. the part where the people are taking the drugs in Requiem for a Dream. Um, to, yeah, and then there's uh, anytime anybody's traveling in Snatch, it'll be like passport, plane flying, sitting something yeah. like that. You know, there's a number of this is a little bit off topic, but um, uh, the upcoming The World's End, directed by mm-hmm. Edgar Wright, which uh, uh, has even though it's now it takes place now, but it's about this character, the lead character who's stuck in the early nineties, mm-hmm. and it has a number of those when mm-hmm. he's like putting a tape in the tape deck on the car, <laughs> and then turning and starting the you know foot on the gas, and then like the beers being poured. There's that is a number of those in in that. That seems to be something that Edgar Wright, as a director, does. Like I, I feel mm-hmm. like I see that in his other things, and it's funny because I feel like he's informed by those nineties things, which they did it because it was like it's a new thing they would do just cause it, it was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Edgar Wright uses it to a comical end. Like he's using it to make a joke. That, well, that's one of the things that I love about him as a director is I feel like he, he makes uh, jokes through his editing. Yes. In, in Shaun of the dead, the part where like at the beginning when Sean comes home and like drunkenly like passes out sitting in a chair in the kitchen and then without the shot changing to show that like he's been laid like this all night, suddenly it's morning, like same shot, but suddenly like just flooded with light mm-hmm. uh feels very 90s but it also is a hilarious and awesome moment yeah what a so, great movie i i've only seen Shaun of the dead once and it's been a long time since i've seen i, I do need to rewatch when you it because i've my seen naked blu-ray back i'll, I'll lend you my Shaun of the dead blu-ray <laughs> when when halloween one at a time that's the way it works well i guess i'm i guess i'm never getting Shaun of the dead from you um but uh so I did want to talk about, I was in anticipation of this, I actually went back and listened to an episode, our last Halloween episode in which we talked about uh, Deconstructionist. And uh, we talked about Scream and, well, okay, there's three things I need to talk about. Well, maybe not need oh, to, boy, I want to. <laughs> uh, the first is um, the the movies or or the directors or the writers that seem to understand that seem to understand aspects of like what is what is uh popular in 90s film culture and they take that 
and they they use it and it's it's legit the way they use it they're sincere about it but they also try to use that and turn it on its head a little bit and so i will bring up scream and the thing that i find so fascinating about it and by the way kevin williamson is maybe the most 90s writer i can think of but um anyway the idea of but he's like i don't mean that in a negative way by the way like quentin tarantino and unlike kevin smith he's matured What's the last thing he did? Well, he still, he has two sh- TV shows on the air, Vampire Diaries and The Following. Is The Following good? No. Oh. Well, no, okay. <laughs> I've only seen the pilot. Okay. So it wasn't good. But also from what everyone else tells me, it's not good. Okay. Um, and Vampire I've... Diaries is good from what I've seen. Oh, right. That's different than True Blood. <laughs> I was thinking of True Blood, which a lot of people don't care for. No. But well, Vampire Diaries is the one with uh, Boone from Lost. Right. Ian yes. Summerholder. Yeah. Hmm. Um... But uh, the um, the thing about Scream that I like is that it does show these characters who are very aware of horror movie cliches, and there. And what I like is that the film basically says, "Yes, they're aware, and they'll talk about it. They know everything that's going to happen before it happens. They're still going to die." Like it's uh-huh. it's not going to save them. Your awareness of something, your because in that awareness you're able to distance yourself as much or as little as you like, but that distance is not actually going to keep you safe. Um, and I really liked that in Scream. It's it's sort of fatalism. It is, but it's and it it's, goes back to the pessimism I was talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing is it's like, but it 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 adds a layer because while these other while where we. While I'm talking about like the smugness that comes with feeling like you know more than everybody else, um, this is saying, yeah, okay, you probably do. So what? Mm-hmm. So do you, you feel like what was that? Do you feel like Scream is a comment sort of on that self-aware? I know what's going on. Culture. I think it's well. I mean, that, certainly it's a comment on on horror films, but also, yeah, I think it is. Whether it's intending to be or not, I think it absolutely is that. Hmm. Um, and so I will use that to then talk about because we talked about like why did these why did this self aware uh, self satisfied very self oriented and um, sarcastic like why did this kind of go away and I came up with a couple of options uh, a couple of possibilities maybe they're both true maybe and I'm sure there's more reasons but one is studios getting involved and saying oh this scream movie was big okay we'll hire the same writer in some cases or we'll hire somebody to approximate it and you'll wind up with the faculty which is still pretty good i like it's not it's not great but it's pretty good i haven't watched in a long time so i don't know i I watched it really like i watched it recently and uh it there are there are parts that hold up and parts that don't okay but um isn't henry winkler in that you're thinking of what am I thinking screen. of? You're thinking of screen. Oh, really? Yes. He's oh, the Henry. Principal oh, on yeah. screen. Yes, and then but everyone else is in the faculty. It's <laughs> okay. Robert Patrick, yeah. BB Newworth, John Stewart. I'm trying to think who all the, the oh, John Stewart's in. That's right. The the the, the, the teachers are like all Piper some, Laurie is Piper Laurie in it. Piper Laurie might be. Um, is uh, Selma Hayek? Yes. In it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people in it. Um, but uh, anyway, so then but then you wind up with you know I know what you did last summer. Urban Legends, uh, Valentine, Soul Survivors, I think is one. Uh, just these Valentine's final destination. Boreanis. What was that? 
Valentine starred David Boreanaz. The only reason I remember it is because it was Angel, but I never saw it. Oh, okay. What were you saying? I said Final Destination. Final Destination. I guess that would count. I think you could add that to the list. It's not the exact same thing. If it's, it's about yeah. horror movies, but... And to its credit, it at least has kind of an interesting gimmick. Yeah. Um, That's a, I, I like that first movie. I do, too. And uh, and have I watched super cuts of people's uh, Rube Goldbergian deaths in later films? I have. I've only seen... <laughs> how many, there have been have five? I watched them more than once? I have. I think there's... There's five? I want to say six, but I could be wrong. Well, okay, there's Final Destination, Final Destination 2, two three. 3, and then there's The Final Destination, was the, the fourth one. And, and then, then there's, there's Five Null no Destination. Destination. I think Ugh. that's the last one. Yeah. I only saw no the Destination? First. Is that well, for real? It's, well, it's just final, but then they have... They used a five to the, do like, yeah, a, like the F? Yeah, style. Yeah. Okay. Um, I saw the first three Final Destinations. Yeah. I, I just watched that first one. Wow. Um, I saw the trailer of one of them. <laughs> The that, second that one first, has that a part, first one's pretty good. The second one has a part where you know Rube Goldberg thing blah 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 causes a van to explode, a news van because there's something newsworthy going on at a farm. Ah, the yes. van explodes next to a length of barbed wire fence, so that this section of barbed wire fence flies through the air and slices this guy into a bunch of pieces. <laughs> oh, I saw that. That's awesome. I saw it. <laughs> um, but uh, but anyway, so you had all these movies, and then Pulp Fiction. Well, Reservoir Dogs and then Pulp Fiction, just the Tarantino thing. It's like, all right, then you've got things to do in Denver when you're dead. You've got... Two Days in the Valley. Two Days in the Valley. You've got Boondock Saints. You've got, like, any number of things. And I think people... I wonder, and I will not speak for uh, fans or artists uh, in this case, but it's almost as though they're just going to take everything we like. So you know what? To hell with it. I think (laughs) just kind of a rejection, recognizing that anything... No matter how counterculture the thing that we like is, it will always be co-opted. And so maybe mm-hmm. let's stop acting like it's so cool because it will cease to be cool eventually. You're saying that's one of the reasons that Ed has – we've shifted away from that? I think so. I, th- I think that could make sense because that kind of leads into hipster culture, which is like taking something that no one would ever enjoy and making it cool. Yeah. But also um, the hipster culture of getting over things really quickly. Like I mentioned yeah, that exactly. band Waves who – I guarantee, like, most people have never heard of the band Waves, but they went from being, like, the next big thing to being kind of, like, you know, people are over Waves. Because I still as soon like as, them. As soon as they became the next big thing, yeah, nobody could be interested in them anymore. On, everyone's like, oh, you, you're still listening to Waves? <laughs> I, I, I've never heard of Waves <laughs> until this conversation. Should, sounds like I should I should get into that. I don't know. You're either know way behind or way like, ahead of the curve. I'm not sure oh, which. All right. <laughs> um... Yeah, meanwhile, as everybody else just uh, – some people, as it sounds like, are they're looking back on to, oh, let's try to incorporate a 90s sound. More and more, I'm just like, yeah, this 30s Delta Blues, I really like that. <laughs> it's just, I'm going backwards. Like pretty soon it'll just be uh, – Well, that might be the next hipster thing. You never know. Well, you know, you um, never know. This is off topic, but uh, John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats, whose blog I read, uh, johndarnielle.tumblr.com, um, had a thing just either today or yesterday about um, – because he has like a question and answer thing. People write in and someone asked him like, do you ever feel overwhelmed with trying to keep up? And he's like, no, because I don't try to mm-hmm. keep up. Um, he's like, sometimes, you know, I spent, I'll spend an entire, I spent most of last year, uh, this is him, not me, I. He, he said, I spent most of last year getting into opera and learning about opera. Did I miss things during that year? Probably. But would I have enjoyed those things any more than I did learning about opera? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So. It was, it's a really simple point of view, but it's good to hear someone say it. You don't no. have, 
especially someone like me who feel who does feel like I have to be up on things for some mm-hmm. reason. No one's going to ask me what I think of Mumford and Sons or uh, whoever whoever they are. Um, but I have to feel like I know stuff about them. And yeah. I, by the way, I mentioned a band that I've never heard a single note of their music, so that was a bad choice. Josh, but that's, I know it's... who Waves is. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you win over me. Do you, have you ever heard a Mumford and Sons song? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, no, heard a song by them? Yeah. No, neither have I. Really? Or oh, I might have, and I don't know. Yeah, I guess Here's that's the thing. possible. I've heard all of them because I think I've heard one of them. And I think they all sound <laughs> the same to me. Um, but uh, Josh, you brought something up that was interesting: is the idea is maybe like building on what I said, the idea that because now it is the idea like things they come and go so fast, and I wonder if it's because in in the nineties there was a fad that would last for years and you never want to be the guy who jumps in at the very end right as it's going to transition out of it. And mm-hmm. so uh, so maybe, yeah, maybe that's why things are picked up and dropped so quickly now is because nobody wants to be that guy. Well, and now, like... As they say in PCU. <laughs> we're talking about... <laughs> that's a good example. <laughs> we're now talking about sort of like just the way that culture moves and culture now, but um, I think... Now, as uh, like the internet culture started in the 90s and now has like exponentially grown that it kind of maybe defines a lot of people in the same way that you were saying pop culture defined us in a way in the 90s. Um, But that just means that information is so readily accessible all the time that anytime anybody in the world who's maybe some kind of tastemaker, as it were, decides that something is big, there's like a window where you can jump on that and then... It, it can take a day before everybody's jumped on that and then everybody's decided that they're not interested anymore. That's what happens with viral videos. These videos are like, they're a week that's the biggest thing. They get 10 million hits and then after that, almost nothing. Yeah. And there's, and there's nobody almost... nobody remembers Christian Bale's meltdown on the Terminator <laughs> Salvation set. <laughs> I do, if we, if we were in a, a different era, we would still be basking in how amazing that is <laughs> instead um, of having forgotten about it three months later. And it's interesting, now there's, and I, I don't want to spend time talking about now culture because we'll talk about that in uh 20 years um but now there's an expectation of a backlash whereas i do think if some i do think that in the 90s if there was a new trend i think it was certainly not by everybody but by kind of hip people i feel like it it was embraced and it was something that i'm not sure if i go go so far as say it brought people together but I don't think you immediate. I don't think you immediately had someone who stood back from that. Like for example, like Nirvana. Uh, I don't think like you had people that loved Nirvana or they just didn't appreciate Nirvana. I don't think you had people who hung out near the people that liked Nirvana and said they're overrated. I get it. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. like the only thing cooler than being the first person to like something is being the first person to dislike it. Yeah. <laughs> But now it goes back. Now, the, just a, there's a general contrarianism. But uh, but I did want to talk about. So another thing that, uh, and this might end the episode as it I always as it always will. About ready to. <laughs> uh, after nine eleven, people said it was the death of irony, and of course the nineties were about sarcasm, irony, uh, postmodern, self aware, just the the whole thing. And so I feel like the idea of like. Oh, nothing like nothing really matters. Everything can be easily explained. It doesn't, you know, and then this thing happens that certainly it united the country. 
um, for a short time. Uh, but then I think in that moment, everyone just realized, uh, hang on a minute. There are big things that matter. Mm-hmm. And the the small things, it's not that they don't matter, but suddenly, unexpectedly, there there is something that affects people in a very real way and it cannot be explained. Mm-hmm. And that, like, for example, I remember Letterman's monologue uh, whenever he came back and he talked about, and, and I'll, I'll try to quote him verbatim, he says, you know, these these guys killed thousands of people out of religious fervor. And then he says, if you live to be a hundred, will that ever make any goddamn sense? And he just seen, he was speaking very much from his heart, but that seemed to be the general he attitude. He said goddamn? He did. And that, I mean, you can do that in his time slot, but they generally don't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it just, and that's the thing is I feel like that seemed to be what a lot of people were feeling at the time is in the nineties, we all knew, and I say we, like I was a kid for a good portion of it, but like, I was like, trying to be an adult. Exactly. Yeah. I've been trying to be an adult since I can remember. Yeah. And now the instances where I actually have achieved it. Wow. I wish I was not that, um, except <laughs> really? my, no, except I'm my still... voice and my, and my uh, facial hair. No, I, I, I had a fairly happy childhood. I mean, happier than many. Um, and adulthood can be tough, but I would not go back to being a kid for a second. Oh, there's no question. It's the worst. I wish I could go back to my senior year because that was a good year just in general. Huh. Like I still had a job, but I didn't have a lot of bills. I was acting and winning several awards. But that's the thing. Is, so I feel like we looked at the 90s as the pinnacle in which – technology and awareness could it's like this is what will save us and then you know as uh as uh would then be discussed in 2003's the fog of war just this the general idea of like there's a limit to knowledge it will not save you maybe there's a tower of babel type thing to it yeah maybe yeah like there's a certain degree of all right save it for your other (laughs) (laughs) i'm talking about the movie babel Oh, okay. There you go. That's a movie that that's a, that has a surprisingly '90s feel to it. All right, not really, no, no, but it doesn't. anyway. So I just thought like there's a number. I think there like it's interesting to look at the '90s because it was a very specific time that you do not get a lot of echoes of anymore for a number of reasons. And I do think that as much as I don't like to be someone who says like the world changed on nine, because everyone acknowledges that you don't want to say something that's plainly obvious. But I think in this instance, I think it's true. I think suddenly people for a brief moment, everything was thrown into sharp relief Mm -hmm. and people couldn't go back to how it used to be. Even in just commenting on star Wars in movies and stuff, you still find that, but not with the same attitude. Yeah. I, I was going to wrap up. I think I was just going to say we – I think we're starting to kind of get back to that, I think, culturally. But I think for a lot of that decade, and that will be, again, you said in another episode in Mm -hmm. however many years. But – We will still be doing this show. (laughs) I hope so. Maybe I'll come back on that one. Okay. (laughs) Call me in 15 years. Um, But uh, I don't know. I feel like some of that attitude has come back a little bit. I think it has, but there's, and I'll bring up TV, oddly enough, but like you, here's the thing, Seinfeld, a show I love, could only have happened in the 90s. 
Meanwhile, something like a 30 Rock or a community or even an Arrested Development, stuff that still is absurd, weird, sarcastic, self-aware, yet there is an assumed and an expected and a very real sincerity to the heart. I mean, uh, 30 Rock... Uh, as much as it was like a cutting edge it, or seen as like a cutting edge show it was actually in many ways uh, a big throwback to screwball comedies to Warner Brothers cartoons and to mm-hmm. the history of television they referenced you know they did live episodes and they and they did all sorts of references to the history of of television uh, in a way that was um as much as the show was a comedy and made fun of things uh, a way that was really respectful mm-hmm. whereas maybe a 30 rock in the 90s would have been dismissive of the yeah. past of television, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. But then at the same time, I think you have stuff like, say, uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, or maybe most of Adult Swim that's just yeah. gone back to that same level of irony, sarcastic irreverence. So, a, I don't know. Um, uh, this came up, actually, on my other podcast, which is called Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. Uh, we were talking about Children's Hospital and how it's more than just irony or postmodernism in stuff like Jones Hospital, there's a real uh, absurdism or an actual mm-hmm. like uh, anti-narrative uh, bent yeah. to it, which I think is is more now, I think. I think so. And that that's, again, we're going back into the trends of, of the last yeah. 15 years, but I think yeah. that has become more of a thing. I think absurdism has kind of come back in, kind of the, uh, the maybe Dadaism. There's people who are, have very specific opinions about what's true dadaism or not i don't I'm know not enough about people. it you can use I, the I'm word not either. as freely as you want <laughs> i'm going to use it to describe everything my favorite dada film is passion fish which we described earlier <laughs> um but no yeah i, th- I think that has that has come in uh, more to be a sort of thing now and maybe that in a maybe that's the the other fork of the path from 911 and being some people take it to uh, to a conclusion where they feel some need to focus on the sincerity and the important things in life, mm-hmm. whereas some people tend to see like all is nonsense, which kind yeah, of I yeah. mean, yeah. Dadaism the is, of it, yeah. and Dadaism is born out of those kind of circumstances in like uh, I think Franco's Spain sure, was yeah, one yeah, place, yeah, and then yeah. kind of after World War II, it became more popular worldwide. And I think, and I agree with you. I do think that those are two, just the idea of this is all silly, as opposed to. Like, this is all silly. There is a fatalism to that, mm-hmm. but it's not inherently negative. As opposed to in the 90s, it was, this is all just shit. We all know that, right? And, like, with with absurdism, you still actually, you can still leave yourself room for, a, for sincerity mm-hmm. if you wanted to. Now, certainly stuff on like Adult Swim and It's Always Sunny, they specifically don't do that, but they could if they wanted to. Whereas if you had something like Seinfeld and then they suddenly had a heart, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Like there's oh, yeah. like there's an early episode, season like two or three, in which uh, Kramer gets Elaine the bench that she wants for her birthday mm-hmm. and she hugs him. And it's like a sincere thing and she reads uh the poem by uh, uh, Ye- uh yeats 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 i think and uh mm-hmm. i don't know st- i believe i, I believe kramer says <laughs> yeats but uh, anyway but I wish uh, she said yeast <laughs> but she she reads it and gets kind of like choked up and then like hugs him and i remember like 
what the hell's going on here? <laughs> like, and it wasn't supposed to be a touching moment. It's just something the characters are sharing. We're not supposed to share it. But that's how much that show was that aspect of the 90s mm-hmm. is any kind of genuine emotion. And suddenly you creep away from it like Ash and Alien <laughs> just when Ripley's crying. And, uh, and so it just uh, – I don't know. It's, it's, it's an odd period. And I feel like we have – done a fairly thorough job but i'm oh, sure there's entire we've summed it up completely there's oh, you think nothing so? left to be said there's nothing else to say okay. no point so, in commenting on this episode and okay. so yeah you can leave comments on the website that but you, you don't need to visit <laughs> um you can find us that website is battleship pretension.com that is the website where it's, you can find great. lots of articles written by josh long yeah re- movie reviews by the three of us as great well stuff. as other, uh, many other uh, fine personalities uh, and uh, also links to all other sorts of podcasts in the podcast in the VP fleet. Uh, you can email us, David at battleshippretension.com or Tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at the pretension. Follow Tyler at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at More Than One Lesson dot com. That's that's Tyler and Josh here, uh, but Tyler's the main host. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my other podcast, which is a co-host shared position type thing is called hey watch this with paul and david which is a tv show a tv podcast that i do with the king of tv paul goble this week we'll be talking about the season two finale of falling skies as well as the series premiere of Broadchurch on bbc america so that's that josh where can people find you on the internet uh you can find me at the josh long on twitter and uh that's about it okay and right. of course at more than one lesson yes uh, so thanks everybody for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 